This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe was a radio series featuring Raymond Chandler's private eye, Philip Marlowe, with Gerald Moore playing Marlowe. The program began in June of 1947, and by 1949, it had the largest audience in radio. Gerald Moore made more than 500 appearances in radio roles throughout the 1930s, 40s, and early 50s. He was one of the actors who portrayed Archie Goodwin in The New Adventure of Nero Wolfe, frequently starred in The Whistler and acted in several roles in Damon Runyon Theater and Frontier Town. He played multiple roles in the anthology series Crime is My Pastime and was the narrator for the serial Woman from Nowhere. Other radio appearances include the Jack Benny program Our Miss Brooks, The Shadow, Box 13, Escape, and Lux Radio Theater. In the early 1950s, Gerald Moore made a series of recordings for The Voice of America. Unlike most material for the VOA, these were intended for broadcast by radio stations in the United States with the goal of debunking propaganda broadcast from behind the Iron Curtain. And now, with tonight's episode, entitled The Covered Bridge. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison or the grave. This time, everything that happened from the orange-haired man with a map past the oaf with a pitchfork to the body at the covered bridge was wrong. Dead wrong. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Covered Bridge. You know, every once in a while, into the life of one Philip Marlowe, a little peace and quiet must fall. A day marked by neither murder nor mayhem. No phone calls. Just nothing. I was just beginning to like it, too, when the door opened and a head full of slick orange hair walked in. It was on a man wearing a new flannel suit, a hand-painted tie, and a reckless grin. He shoved the telephone out of his way, sat down on the corner of my desk, and sized me up with a pair of careful gray eyes. Got a proposition for you, laddie. Tell me about it. Let you know if I'm interested. You should be. There's good money in it. It's not always the answer. Go ahead. You got a good car? Good enough. I don't keep it in the office. You like Mexico? Look, is this a social call or a quiz program? This is business. I asked you a question. Yeah, I like Mexico. 
I don't like you. Oh, that's good, because you're going to drive a couple of friends of me down there. Uh, name your price. Not interested. Thousand bucks? Not interested. That's too bad. Would have been nicer to work this out without a gun. Listen, you're too big, Talk jerk. easy, laddie. This gun is bigger than both of them. Now, you're going to drive across the Mexican border tonight with three passengers. And it won't be any difficult question. Because you are the well-known Senor Philip Marlowe, a respectable private detective. Somewhere below the border, your fellow travelers will catch a boat. But this you don't have to worry about. Now, look, just a minute. Look, I... laddie, I came to you for several reasons. One of which is that you're smart enough to know when to quit fighting the problem. You gotta make a stop first, so let's go. Uh, and leave your artillery in the drawer. Come on. Yeah, sure. Since I'm now an old pal of yours, what do I call you? You pick it. Believe me, you won't like it. Um, how about George? You like George? Not particularly. Good. Just call me George. Let's go, Marlo. <laughs> We nodded at the elevator girl, waved goodbye to the kid in the parking lot, and headed south on Highway 101. All with the front of that Mauser nudging my kidney. It was screwy, but I was on my way to Mexico. Uh, don't get ambitious, Marlowe. Not too fast, not too slow. Just keep it rolling, nice and steady. I did what I was told and watched for a break. For every foot of a hundred miles down the coast. At Oceanside, we cut inland past Escondido and up into the citrus country. Once he dug a little map from his pocket and studied it while we headed into the hills where farms were farther apart. George was busy looking for a turnoff when my chance came, and it came fast. My foot slammed down hard on the brake. George's head smacked the windshield, and the gun slipped out of his hand. I dropped two wheels to the ditch, but I got the gun. He took one look, then jumped out and ran in a low crouch from the back of the car. Before I could follow him, I heard the truck coming. It was a big two-section job rolling fast. It topped the rise just as George pivoted toward the road. The truck driver must have seen him just as he hit. But the air brake blocked on all 26 wheels at the same time. I ran to where George lay like a discarded doll at the side of the road. The truck driver was out of his cab before it stopped rolling. I didn't see him. I didn't see him. I come over the rise there. I, I didn't see him. Take it easy. Honest, I didn't see him. Is he all right? Oh. He ain't dead, is he? No, no, he isn't. He won't be walking much anymore. It wasn't my fault, Mr. Honest. I know it wasn't. Get hold of yourself. Uh, gosh, what should we do? I want you to drive to the nearest phone and get the police and then come back. Here's my card. Give it to the troopers. Oh. Tell them they can reach me at my office. Yeah, what are you going to do? I'm going to figure out how to read this map of his. I'm going to pay a call on a couple of people who are expecting this oh. guy. Oh. Maybe it's just a stubborn streak, but when I'm being used as a patsy, I like to meet the people involved. As I drove, I studied the map, and two miles down the highway, I found the first landmark, a dead tree. There I left the highway and followed a rocky trail seven corkscrew miles up a canyon to the next landmark, a bridge. One that looked like it had been lifted out of some rustic Connecticut woods and dropped across the California gorge purely by mistake. Because it was covered complete to roof and walls and made entirely of lumber. And on the hill beyond was a lonely house where the trail marked on the map ended. I drove slowly through the sagging wood tunnel and at the other end deliberately killed my motor. Then I got out, raised the hood, and went to work on the distributor. I don't know where he came from, but when I glanced up, he was standing there watching me. A bull in overalls with a pitchfork clenched in a pair of hands as thick as $4 steaks. 
We didn't like each other's looks. You picked a bad place for trouble, mister. That's so. Why? Nobody almost never comes up this road, especially strangers. How come you took it? Really want to know, or are you just killing time? I wouldn't be too smart if I was you, mister. Uh, you live in that house up there? No, not anymore. I got canned for drinking. Why are you so interested in that place? The only farm around here. Maybe they got a mechanic. Yeah, maybe. Where'd you say you were from? L.A. Uh, Los Angeles, huh? You real sure you don't know anybody up there on the hill? Like who, for instance? A certain party who took a trip to L.A. not so long ago. And another thing, city boy. Don't get out of line or I'll fix you good. Understand? I mean, how do you do? <laughs> you want something? Uh, yes, my car stalled at the bottom of the hill. Sorry. Sorry, who is it? Who's there? Uh, a man, Uncle Walter. He says his car broke down. What's that? Church? Your car broke down, you say? Yeah, I don't know what went wrong, Mr. Uh... My name is Bruel, Walter Bruel. Oh, I'm glad to know you. I'm Philip Marlowe. What are you doing on this road, Mr. Marlowe? I thought it was a shortcut. Did you? Well, you were wrong. It's a dead end. Oh. Yeah. Come inside. Thanks. Look, Mr. Brule, I'd like to have somebody who knows motors come down and look at my car, huh? Mm-hmm. All right, then Ed comes in. I guess he could go down with you. Oh, I... That's I, my I... new hired hand, Ed Fry. Oh. I don't know, Uncle Walter. It's getting pretty dark. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing myself. As a matter of fact, if you can accommodate me, Mr. Brule, I'd just as soon rest up a while and shove off in the morning. I want to pay you for everything, of course. Stay overnight? Oh, I, uh, I'm afraid that's impossible. We... Impossible? Yeah. Why? What's the matter with you, Dolly? If necessary, I'm sure we can arrange to take care of Mr. Marlowe some way. Well, okay. Now, that's better. Now, if you want me, Dolly, I'll be out in the barn. Make yourself comfortable, Mr. Marlowe. Your uncle, huh? He owns this place? That's right. My mother was his favorite sister. Oh. You want a cup of coffee? Oh, I'd love it. Haven't had any farm kitchen coffee in ages. You, um, you don't seem to have many visitors up this way, Dolly, huh? No, not many. Nice farm, though. Stinks. Is that why you run off to L.A. now and then? How did you know about that? I guess. I ran into a friend of yours at the bottom of the hill. A pair of overgrown shoulders with a pitchfork. Said he used to work here. Him. He did up until a month ago. That's Noah Bickman. Big dumb goof. Here's your cup. Oh, thanks. By the way, Mr. Marlowe, where are you heading? Oh, Mexico, maybe. Mexico? Yeah. You kind of came a long ways out of your way, didn't you? Did I? Dolly! Dolly! We're in here, Eddie. What's the matter? The car at the bottom of the hill. Whose is it? The car belongs to me. It's stalled. Uh, who are you? This is Mr. Marlowe, Eddie. He's uh, on his way to Mexico. Uh, you don't say. 
And since his car broke down so late, he may stay all night. Uncle Walter said it'd be all right. Is that a fact? I'll uh, go get some blankets, Eddie, so you can take them up to the spare room for Mr. Marlowe. Oh, okay, Dolly. Mr. Marlowe, huh? Where are you from, Mr. Marlowe? L.A. You? Uh, points east. Uh, you know, this road don't go to Mexico, Marlowe. In fact, it stops about a mile up the draw here. And it's funny that you wound up on it, isn't it? I don't see you breaking up over it, Eddie. Don't let my poker face throw you, pal. Traveling alone, are you? I am now. Meaning what? That there's nobody with me. That's simple, isn't it? Not in my book, pal. Might even want you to draw me a picture of that one. Here's the blanket, Eddie. She... Oh, okay, okay, it's fine. Come on upstairs, Marlowe. I'll show you the room. You want me to go with you and make the bed? No, you stay here and put up some more coffee, Dolly. All right. That hunch you may want lots of it tonight. Let's go, Marlowe. Right behind you, Eddie. How's the weather been in L.A.? Some might call it hot. Uh-huh. Hey, get the door, will you? Sure. Okay, how come it's you, pal? I got good credentials, a car, and a tight yap. You better be right on all three. How'd you find me? Little map, Eddie. From Escondido to the dead tree to the covered bridge, and then up here at the cinch. Why'd you show alone? Where's Red? Gotta meet us at the border. It's a bum fit, pal. It's not in the book. Why? Uh, you're in some kind of a last-minute jam with a boat. Oh, that jerk. He's had a month to line this up while I've been holed up out here in the sticks, making like a farmhand. Well, better work, that's all. If we're picked up this time, it's curtains. Oh, uh, incidentally, you got a gun, haven't you? Yeah, sure. Let's see it. Uh-uh. No dice, Eddie. Red didn't tell me everything, just enough. So? So you'll get your money's worth. I'll do what I'm supposed to do and no questions asked, but my little automatic and I stick together regardless, real close, together. <laughs> okay, Marlowe. Suit yourself. I will. And something else. The rest of the company is going along. Is that all set? Well, we'll see about that when the time comes. You're not leaving any loose ends around, are you? Not your worry, pal. We get out of here around 11. Oh, and that routine about your car being stalled, it is a gag, I hope. Oh, sure, it won't start. If anybody tries, but in 10 seconds with a screwdriver, I can fix it. <laughs> You're okay, Marlo. Just keep playing your game. Yeah, I will. Maybe then I'll find out what the score is after all. You might at that. Come on, let's see. Dinner at the Brule Farm was as loaded with gay chatter as a bad case of lockjaw. And when it was over, the participants scattered like everybody else was contagious. I wound up alone in a dark spare room on the second floor, which had one advantage. Windows that viewed both the front and the rear. The moon was bright, so I didn't bother with a lamp. I listened to Dolly rattle dishes in the kitchen until that stopped, and then I watched old man Brule pace his front yard. Once Ed Fry went out and talked to him briefly and then headed for the front door again. For a long hour after that, the big house was silent until from somewhere out in the back, there was a soft metallic tapping. Eventually, I spotted a heavy figure outside tossing pebbles against a window pane downstairs. And he edged back through the shadows to the barn. A moment later, I saw the girl slip out a rear door and run across the backyard to join him. 
I went down the back stairs and out along the house to a hedge, and I followed that until I was close enough That's to hear. I tell you, he's an escaped convict, a killer. He's been hiding out here on your place. I can't believe it, Noah. I just can't. Are you sure? Of course I am. I read it by accident just tonight in an old newspaper from Denver. The whole story with pictures. There's no doubt about it. Ed Fry is really Eddie Fillmore. He's a murderer plenty of times over. What, what do we do? Can we call the police? No, uh, no. Not on your life. Listen, you want to get off this farm, don't you? More than anything in the world. Okay. Then we'll do it. Together, Dolly. I didn't tell another soul about this. You know why? Because they put out a reward. A big one for him. $2,500. And we're going to get it. Just us, you and me. How, Noah? How can we talk? What's that? Did you hear that, Noah? That's nothing, nothing. One of the cats, maybe. Look, you've been taking walks with him lately, Dolly. Yes, I have, Noah, but... Well, never mind that now. Just get him to take another one right away. Get him to walk you down to Pritchett's house. I'll be waiting there, and as soon as you get inside, I'll jump him. You'll never know what hit him. Will you do it? Pritchett's house? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll try. You you give me some time to persuade him. Sure, sure. Oh, I knew you'd see things my way, honey. Oh, no. Oh, boy, with, with that reward money, there'll be no stopping us. You better go in now before they miss you. Okay. I'll get him there just as soon as I can. Hey, Bigman. What? Who's there? Marlowe. Listen, I gotta you talk to you. You were here listening all the time, weren't you? Yeah, and believe me, you're making a mistake. You're playing with dynamite, Bickman. You two are nuts to tackle that guy alone. He's too tough for you. So you want to help so you can cut yourself in on the reward, that's all. Well, it ain't gonna work. Don't be a sap. He's covered himself. There's somebody else in with him. Somebody around here, he's got an ally. You two try to grab him and you're gonna be in trouble. You're lying. He's been hiding out all alone and we're gonna get him, Dolly and me, by ourselves. And if you try to horn in, mister, so help me, I'll beat your brain. Cut it out. Reward or no reward, you gotta listen I to me. I got you nothing to Maybe that'll teach you not to stick your nose in, city boy. <laughs> Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Covered Bridge. I didn't pass out, but my jaw hurt and my legs moved like they were rubber. Now I had to find the roving Walter Brule because he should know where Pritchard's house was, where the ambitious team of Dolly and Noah might be biting off a lot more than they could chew, healthy 4-H teeth notwithstanding. Mr. Brule! Mr. Brule! Yeah? Hello? Who, who is it? Marlowe! Come here a minute, will you? It's important. Yeah, it's important. What is it, Mr. Marlowe? Ah, sure. Ace! Assist! Your friend Noah, we had a few words. Noah Bickman? He was no friend of mine. Yeah, he's no friend of mine either. Look, Brule, I'm going to have to trust you. I've got no choice. 
Bickman found out Ed Fry is really an undesirable named Eddie Fillmore is wanted for the police by murder. Murder? And he wants to trap him for a $2,500 reward that's been posted and didn't want me in the way. No. Now, look. I'm not a passing tourist with motor trouble, but a private detective. Tell me, who is Pritchard and where does he live? Pritchard? Where does he live? Mr. Marlowe, somebody has been making a joke on you. Elihu Pritchard died 20 years ago. He lived right in this house where I do today. This is Pritchard's house here? Oh, Pritchard's house? No, no, no. That is down the road near your car. The covered bridge. That is Pritchard's house. The bridge? Ah, you see, Elihu Pritchard was from New England, and he had a covered bridge on his farm there. So he wanted one here. He built it himself day by day, a board here, a nail there. Oh, and and since he spent so much time at it, people call the bridge's house. Is that it? Yeah, 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 exactly. But then, why is it important? Because of a meeting, Mr. Brule, a get-together that I don't think is going to be on the quiet side. Let me borrow your flashlight, will you? Sure. Now get back inside and call the police. What are you going to do? Reinforce the reward, happy sweethearts, and keep an eye out for someone I haven't met yet. A third party Eddie Fillmore plans to tour Mexico with. It was a quarter of a mile romp, country style, back down to the covered bridge. When I was there, the miles I recovered from George in one hand, flashlight in the other. I found only the moon-washed, gray-covered bridge itself. Trying to stand erect like an old soldier who has more pride than posture. But then as I stepped from the chalk road onto the sheltered oil soaked planking, I found something else. Inside and face down was Noah Bickman. And lying nearby, the red-stained, icy fingers of the pitchfork that had killed him. I started to move closer. But then footsteps from the road behind suggested that I do different, so I moved quickly back to the bridge entrance, flattened myself into a narrow shadow and waited. Noah? Noah, is that you? It's Marlowe, darling. What? Mr. Marlowe, what are you doing here? Why are you down at the bridge at this hour? Where's Noah? He's dead, darling. He's in there, but don't go inside. Look, I tried to stop him, believe me. Stop him? Stop him? Don't bother, baby. I know about Fry being Fillmore, the reward, all of it. What? How? Well, first of all, I'm a private detective from L.A. was dragged into this by an ex-buddy of Fillmore's. Second, I was in the barn when you and Noah made your plans. When you left, I tried to talk Noah into accepting my help. Why? Because I know what Fillmore's kind is like. I mix with him every day. I know how they work. Look, did you tell Fillmore to meet you here, yes or no? No. No, I couldn't find him. I've been looking since I left the barn every place. That's why you came down here just now? Yes. I wanted to tell Noah that our plan would have to be postponed. But what difference does all this make? I don't know. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. If Fillmore had known about this, this rendezvous you two planned, it'd be 20 to 1 that he got here ahead of schedule and took care of Noah. But... Since he didn't. Well, since he didn't, I'm betting on a third party. Someone we haven't met yet. A third party? Yeah, now listen to me and do just as I say. Turn around and walk straight back up to the house, and when you get there, get inside and stay put. But, Marlo, what if... Go on, fast. All right. But be careful, Marlo. Whoever killed Noah won't hesitate to kill you, too. When she started back up the road, I turned toward the bridge again. 
My flashlight following the dusty white footprints on the freshly oiled planking leading to the dead man. I stood over in the circle of light sweeping the area around him. There was just one thing I had to know. Marlo! Marlo! It's me, Walter Boyle. What are you doing down here? Uh, I thought you might need help, so after I called the police, I got my rifle and came down here and I... Yeah, he's dead. The prongs on that fork went right through him. Oh, damn. Yeah. Look, Brule, was this planking freshly oiled today? Yeah, right. I just wanted to make sure those chalk footprints were made today. But what footprints? Brule, you stay here and see that no one has the bridge. Where are you going? Up to your house in a hurry, because I think I know who the killer and the third party is. Red legs and smog-fed lungs, I made it up to the house in record time. But as I reached for the front door, I knew that time hadn't been quite good enough. The shot had come from somewhere in the house, and by the time I reached the living room, I knew I was too late to do any good. In a chair at the far side of the room, Dolly was slouched down, a surprised expression on her face. While her hands tried to hold back a small stain of blood oozing through her blouse, little frightened words whispered out of her mouth. Stand where you are, Marlowe. She had it coming to her, the two-timing louse. Eddie, Eddie, I'm trying to tell you. You don't understand. I understand plenty, you no good little... Eddie. I was in the barn, heard the whole thing. You and that Bickman, planning a switch with me out. You're wrong, Eddie. Dolly didn't try to double-cross you, Eddie. She only pretended to so she could set Noah Bickman up and kill him. That's what she did. No, you're a liar. I don't believe it. Is that true, Marlo? She didn't cross me. She was trying to help me. That's right, Fillmore. Bigman found out who you were, wanted the 2500 bucks you were worth, dead or alive. Dolly had to play him along for your sake. I should have listened to her. I should have listened. How do you know all this, Marlo? Found Dolly's footprints inside the covered bridge. Proof she'd been there before I found Bigman's body. Yeah. You know who I was, so you put it all together. Well, you're holding the gun, kid. What's the next move? Doesn't matter much anymore. I could still lamb out of here for Mexico. Somehow I don't want to. Not without Dolly. Phone the police, Marlon. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> It was several hours before the county police and Eddie Fillmore had gone. Walter Brule and I sat at the long wooden table watching the light from the fire dance across the hanging skillets and pans by the grate. And nobody said anything for a long time. 
I suppose hot apple pie at four in the morning seems odd to a man from the city. Not at all. Four in the morning is sometimes the middle of the day in the city. Yeah. Yeah. More coffee, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, please. You know, Dolly wasn't really a bad girl. It was just that sometimes she didn't think. A woman who loves like that doesn't think, Mr. Broom. She just feels. Maybe in some way it is my fault, the whole thing. No, no. It's nobody's fault, Mr. Broom. She was, she was trying to do the right thing for the guy she loved. Yeah, well, your bed is still ready if if you care to sleep. Oh, thanks, sure, I'd like to. If if you can find your own way up, I I think I'll sit here just a minute longer. Sure. Night. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. As I sat looking out over the starlit countryside, I thought of all the great love stories written about the good people who love, live, and suffer. And then the pathetic face of Dolly and the pain-racked face of Eddie said, what about us? And I had no answer. Yeah, chalk up another one, Marlowe. Another one of those things for which there is no answer. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janis, Ben Wright, Jack Moyles, Wilms Herbert, Jack Crucian, and Barney Phillips. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a twisted mind, a hole cut in a wire fence, and a corpse in a storeroom. All added up to freedom. But only for the one who had it coming. Stay tuned for Life with Luigi, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for J. Carol Nash to star in Life with Luigi. Chicago, we invite you to enjoy life. 
Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring J. Carol Nash with Alan Reed. A year ago, when Luigi Vasco left Italy to start his new life in America, he promised his mother that he would write her and tell her about his adventures. So now we look over Luigi's shoulder as he writes another letter to Mama Vasco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, in America is now big Christmas shopping season. Mamma Mia, you should see wonderful things they have here, especially for the house. For instance, in old country, when it's washing, a woman take a wash to the creek, stand a barefoot, and a rubber clothes against a rock. Here in America, women take a bundle to a store full of washing machines. Put a wash in, the fella press a button, one, two, three, clothes come out to clean. All the woman needs is a strength enough to put in quarter and a husband to carry the bundle. <laughs> Our countryman Pasquale, who brings me here and has Spaghetti Palace next door, he's doing his Christmas shopping, too. But his shopping list has only one article. Husband for his fat daughter, Rosa. <laughs> and your son, Luigi, Mamma Mia, is a number one on Pasquale's list. <laughs> Mamma Mia, that Rosa. She's a big. When a Rosa steps on a scale, a little ticket comes out with one word. Help! <laughs> Outside this, my antique business is not so good. I guess people like to buy new things for Christmas, not antiques. If I have money, I like to buy lots of presents. Especially for my 12-year-old general manager, my boy Jimmy O'Connor. He's just coming home from school now, and they say, Hello, Mr. Luigi. Hello, Jimmy. How was the school today? About the same. What you writing? I'm sending out my Christmas cards. Who to? First the one is to Pasquale. I make them up myself. Here, I read to you. Dear Pasquale, it's a pleasure to be here on a Christmas day. So thank you for the money that to bring me to USA. <laughs> not bad. Yes. Merry Christmas to your wife. And I'm not going to marry Rosa. Happy New Year. <laughs> Any more, boss? Oh, here's the one to Miss Spaulding. Dear my teacher, Miss Spaulding, learning me so fine. Wait, then, to see the Christmas card I write in a 49. Hey, you're doing great, huh? Uh, here's one more. To President Truman. <laughs> Dear Mr. President, best wishes from me. It's a pleasure that we both are where we want to be. <laughs> You'll like that. Well, now, Jimmy, what do you like for Christmas? Not a thing, boss. Why are you different from anyone else? Everybody wants something. Well, there isn't a thing I need, boss. Jimmy, if every kid talking like you, Santa Claus will go out of business. <laughs> boss, I'm not going to let you get me anything, so let's drop it. But, Jimmy, what is it you want the most that you can't get? Well, as long as I'm not going to get it, then a bike is the thing I want most. Well, is it two weeks before Christmas? Maybe Santa bring it to you. But I got the biggest surprise for you, Jimmy. See this? Oh, no, you bought another statue. It's a modern statue. See? It's a Paul Revere lamp. Beautiful, huh? How much? Sixty dollars, that's all it costs. No. Yes? See? It's a horse. It's a little lantern light. 
every store in town is selling, and we're buying. Can't the help but the Jimmy Paula Rabeer is a brave fellow. I know. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. How do you know this, Sir Jimmy? Well, every kid knows it. It's from a poem by Longfellow. What's this Longfellow's name? <laughs> uh, that is his name. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He's a nice name. Maybe I sign my Christmas poems with the three names. Luigi Bosco Bosco. Luigi, my friend. <laughs> Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Pasquale. Hello, Jimmy. How's it with you? <laughs> hello, Mr. Pasquale. I got a big surprise for you, Jimmy. Yeah? But I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell Luigi. So you go out and go in the back. All right, Jimmy. Go. Have us some milk. That's a nice boy, that Jimmy. I'm feeling sorry for him. Why are you sorry for him? He's all right. Is he going to have a Christmas tree? I don't know. Is he going to be a stocking and a chimney? I know have a chimney. You're lucky you got a stocking. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible a shame for a boy like that to not to have a real Christmas with all of the trimmings. It's not to my fault. I do the best I can. So is it your fault. Is it your fault because you're single? What's a single got to do with a Christmas? Only people what's got a good Christmas is a family people. You should have seen my spaghetti house on a Christmas. It's a big tree with a little silver decoration, little bulbs and the lights. Pasquale, I like to see this. And then, then are the lights that they spell out the words. Merry Christmas? No, special Christmas at dinner, two and a half a box. <laughs> Sounds pretty. And then, then a rose fish is sneaking down on a tiptoe early in the morning. Hold the house a shake as you wake everybody up. <laughs> Maybe me and Jimmy will come to your house. Sure, of course. And the tree is going to be a present for you. Thank you, Pasquale. Is it going to be two single dollar bills? A green Christmas. What for two dollars? That's the price of a marriage license. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have a black Christmas. And for Jimmy, for him, I'm going to have electric train. Is it too big for electric train? Uh, this one is going to be a super chips. <laughs> Just the right for a boy his age. Even you like to play with it. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Sure, sure. You're going to have an engine and the cars right here in your store. But the tracks, they're going to be in my house. Why? <laughs> Why, you say? Because when you want to play, then you come over to my place. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. You and Jimmy and a Rosa on the floor. Why you always to bring up a Rosa? I'm her papa. Who else is going to bring her up? <laughs> Please, Pasquale, we're talking about a Christmas. It's time for a happy talk, not the Rosa talk. All right, I don't press the subject, Luigi. I'm going to let things work out of themselves. Maybe Jimmy, he's a get to like her if he sees a lot of Rosa. If anyone sees a Rosa, he's a got to see a lot. <laughs> you know, maybe he's even a get to call her mama. Pasquale, I'm not going to marry Rosa. Even if Jimmy like her? Just to think of next year, what a happy Christmas he's to have with his grandpa. If he's my grandson, he's going to have everything. And what I have? Rosa. <laughs> what do you say, my son? Goodbye, Papa. Are you in charge? Si, I'm Luigi Pasco. What can I do for you, lady? Do you happen to have any lamp? I have one lamp, right here. Oh, my, that's original. It's Paul Revere on his horse. That's right. You like it? Yes. Is it not for sale? 
<laughs> I don't understand. Is it not too hard to understand? I just buy it for myself. I'm crazy for Mr. Revere. Well, but aren't you in business to get money? See, I guess you're right. I need the money to buy little Jimmy a Christmas present. Well, what are you asking for the lamp? I'm asking $60, but if that's too much, I sell it cheap. Um, no, that's a fair price. I'll take it. All right, lady. I take him in the back and I wrap him up. Come on, Paul. Well, Mr. Revere, guess you got to take another ride. In old days, you ride on a horse. Now, Jimmy, he's wanting to ride on a bicycle. Can't help it, Mr. Revere. I'm sorry. I know you only for a short time, but I'm already know a lot about you. You also immigrant, but when a country needs you, you say, okay, you fine soldier in the wartime. You fine silversmith in the peacetime. People always remember you because you ride in the night and you show people lantern light shining. Well, now you go to a lady's fine house. The light on this lamp shine there and the people see you. And maybe they remember how you and other fellas fight. So there is always a light shining in America. Goodbye, Mr. Revere. Merry Christmas. Here, lady, is a Paul Revere. And here's your money, Mr. Basco. Would you mind putting the lamp in my car? It's the first time a Paul Revere's a horse to ride in a car. <laughs> Thank you. And a Merry Christmas. Same to you. And a happy Paul Revere. America, I love you. Hey, Luigi! Excuse me, Pasquale, I'm in a bigger hurry. Where are you going this time? To the department store. Always you running to someplace. You gonna buy something or just look around? I'm gonna buy something. A tie? No, a toy. Where you get the money? I just sell Paul Revere. Who's Paul Revere? He's a lamp. He's a lamp? How much do you get for this human torch? <laughs> I get a $60. $60 for a lamp? People must be crazy. No, Pasquale. If you know Paul Revere, then you understand. I explain. Ah, oh, you explain. You remember Revolutionary War? Must have happened before I come here. <laughs> you remember Boston Tea Party? They don't invite to me. I don't go to no party. No. No, Pasquale. It was like this. It was April 18, 7075. Paul Revere was a home. Luigi, do me a favor. Go to the department store. By the time you finish explanation, Santa Claus is going to go back to the North Pole. <laughs> Mamma Mia! It's a big store and a big crowd. I wonder where is the bicycle department. Merry Christmas, children. Merry Christmas. Please. Please, a Santa Claus. Scram, kid, you're too old. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, Merry Christmas. Please, please, I'm looking for a bicycle. Well, and have you been a good little boy all year? Yes, a Santa Claus. Not you, dopey. Scram. Please, bicycle is not for me. It's for my boy Jimmy. Is a bicycle salesman here? See, here's my $60. Merry... Probably necking with the perfume sales girl. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. But where I can find the... Hey, uh, but... Hey, uh, maybe I can help you. Thank you. Are you a bicycle salesman? 
Not exactly. I want to buy a bicycle for my boy Jimmy. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, here's my money. You shouldn't be waving it around like that. Put it in your coat pocket. Oh, thanks, mister. Thanks. Hey, look, you got some of Santa's whiskers on your coat. You better let me give you a quick brush. Oh, <laughs> oh thank you. You're really nice, a real nice fella. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the clothes are not so clean, huh? You're clean now, I think. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little dizzy. It's the first time I'm in such a big store. Yeah, I guarantee you, you won't forget it. Oh, here's a salesman now. I hope you have a nicer Christmas. Thanks. I will. Yes, sir. Can I interest you in a bicycle? Yes, I'm waiting for you. Oh, sorry. I was away for a minute. <laughs> Just going over a few things at the perfume counter. <laughs> now, uh, here's a bicycle that'll give you years of service. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, how much do you intend to spend? <laughs> All I have is a $60. Well, exactly the price of this bicycle. Automatic brakes, all chrome body, fog lights, heater, the works. Fine. I take it. Here's my 60 Mamma mia. What is something wrong, sir? My, my $60, it's, it's a missing. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. It's one of America's favorite phrases, and certainly it's one of America's favorite shows. It's Hit the Jackpot, which you'll hear in just a little later tonight over most of these same CBS stations. Tonight, the jackpot will be worth $25,000 to the listener or studio guest who cracks the mystery of the secret sentence. And if they all fail, the jackpot total will climb to $27,000. Tuesday night's always great listening on CBS, so stay tuned for Hit the Jackpot a little later. And now for the second act of Luigi Basco's Adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy. And so, Mamma Mia, I lose my $60, and Jimmy loses a beautiful bicycle with a shiny metal, a big, beautiful tires, and a little piece of fur in the back. I think it's to keep a boy's feet warm when he rides on a cold day. I feel very sad inside. But I hope the man who finds my money is a poor man. And he buys a bicycle like this for his little boy. So, salesman, he takes me to store detective who says it to me. Now, think hard, Mr. Bosco. Are you sure you came into this store with $60? I'm sure, Mr. Detective. I got the money from Paul Revere. And another thing I... <laughs> you got the money from who? Paul Revere. Not the guy with the horse. That's right. Uh, look, mister, why don't you lie down and rest a while? You know, walking around in these crazy crowds all day does something to a guy. You'll feel... Please! I own antique store, and this morning, I sell Paul Revere's statue for $60. Oh, for a minute, you had me worried. Now, look, are you sure you came in here with the $60? Maybe you left it home with your wife. I'm not married. Yeah, that's right. A married guy wouldn't have 60 bucks in his pocket to begin with. <laughs> now, uh, tell me, Mr. Bosco. See? When did you first notice the money was missing? I'm standing next to Santa Claus. No wonder that guy keeps yelling, Merry Christmas. No, no, Mr. Detective. It was not the Santa Claus. Uh, maybe not. Mr. Bosco, did anybody brush up against you in the crowd? Now think. No. Oh, only one nice man. He brushes off of my clothes. Can you describe it? I don't remember too much. He had a red hair, a green eyes, a scar under the left eye. His nose is crooked. He wears a little orange bow tie. And he had that, yeah, it was a polka dot. And he walked with a limp. Well, you're not giving me much to go on. <laughs> Do you know his name or where he lives? He didn't tell me. Hmm. Please, Mr. Detective, maybe you'll find my $60 so I can buy Jimmy the bicycle. Well, I'll look around the store, Mr. Basco. Go see the manager and report your loss. Thank you. 
You say you want to report a loss in our store? Yes, sir, Mr. Manager. Well, now, uh, would you describe what you lost, please? Yes. Was a one dozen five-dollar bills all grin. <laughs> with, a, with a picture of Lincoln on every bill, and then yes, there was... Yes, 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 Mr. Pasco. I'll just put down $60. Please, this money was to buy Christmas present for my boy Jimmy. A beautiful bicycle with a piece of fur on I'm the back. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but of course our store can't be responsible. You understand? Merry Christmas, everybody! Ah, nuts! Please! What kind of language is this from a Santa Claus? Mr. Grover, I'm through playing Santa Claus in this store. But why? I am turning in my suit, my whiskers, and my... Merry Christmas! Is it a question of money? No, it's not the money. I've played Santa Claus in every department store, in every whistle stop in the country. But please... I am an actor! I play Santa Claus with so much feeling when I kiss my wife, I think I'm kissing a reindeer. <laughs> Will you please calm down and tell me what's troubling you? Please, Mr. Manager, my $60. You keep quiet. All right, Mr. Grover, I'll tell you what's bothering me. It's the class of kids you get here. They tear off my whiskers, tweak my nose, and the things they whisper into my ear. Especially that last kid. Now, what did he ask for? What Harry James would never give up. <laughs> no, I'm through, I tell you, I'm through. I'm packing up. Please, please, calm down. No, I've had enough. Oh, enough, no, enough, no, I tell please. you, enough. Please. Please, my money. I'm sorry, sir. Your money turns up, I let you know. Thank you. Say, say you. Say. Help me off with these whiskers, will you? I'm, I'm sorry you decided to go away, Mr. Santa Claus. Ah, this crummy giant doesn't know how to treat a great artist. Last year, I played Santa Claus in the biggest department store in New York. I was so great, they held me over until New Year's. Oh. <laughs> my clippings. I think you're fine, too. I had the star's dressing room, a special makeup artist to do my face. My uniform was created by a Hollywood expert. But, but if you leave... The children, they may be very sad. You should see the hole I've got here for a dressing room. A broom closet between ladies' pajamas and men's sportswear. <laughs> but, but the poor little bambinos. Nobody here to ring a bell and holler Merry Christmas. And what have you got to be so merry about? You lost $60. Your kid's not going to get his bike. See, it's a bad thing. But not so bad as a Christmas for little kids who were out of Santa Claus. Well, that's the way you feel about it here. You be Santa Claus. Me, I am quitting. <laughs> It's a Merry Christmas, little bambino. It's a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. You comfortable under my lap, little bambino? Oh, definitely. That's a fine. Now you tell us, Santa Claus, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I want a set of toy soldiers and two drums and a wagon uh, good, and a I... football suit and a million comic books and skates. Oh, that's a fine. I'm going to get... And a sled get... and two drums and a scooter. <laughs> well, Santa Claus is going to need a truck. And it... Uh, whatever is the matter, Santa Claus? <laughs> well, it's a lot of presents. Look at all this. Santa Claus is going to have to own a bank. Oh, you see, he doesn't have to. My father does. Oh. Now then, I want two drums and uh -huh. a pony and an electric... <laughs> It's a Merry Christmas, Bambino. It's a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And what's, what's your name, little fella? Spud. Spud. That's a fine name. Okay, now give me the loot and let me go home. First, to tell a Santa. You been a good boy this year? I've been perfect. Mama's boy, a real sweet nose. Now, you sure you're telling a Santa the truth? Sure, my nose is clean. Is it not a good idea to tell a Santa Claus a lie, Spud? Well, except for the time me and Baldy Harris put the stink bomb under old lady Schultz's window. Uh -huh. 
And uh, why you do that? Because she called a cop on us. And uh, why, Mrs. Schultz, did she call a cop? Because I busted her window after she took away my pea shooter. Is the only time uh, the noise is she's not the cleanest spot? Well, we got one mean teacher in school, and last year I used up two boxes of tacks on her. Is there more dirt on the nose, Spud? Oh, just a few little things like that. Is it going to need a handkerchief like a tablecloth to make your nose clean? <laughs> I guess I don't rate no presents this year, Sam. But if I had another chance, I- I'd make good. Well, Spud, Zach, I... <laughs> he's all right, I suppose. Important thing is that you promise to be good a boy next to you. Oh, I will. Now, tell us, Santa Claus, what do you want for Christmas? I'd like a pea shooter, two stink bombs, and two boxes of tash. <laughs> it's a Merry Christmas, if I'm being honest. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Come. Come, sit on a Santa's lap, a little girl. Oh. Now, you tell us, Santa Claus, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, I'd like a bicycle. Me too. <laughs> Why, you don't need a bicycle. I'm just thinking of a little boy who like a bicycle, too. Santa Claus, can I have a mama doll and a carrot and a teddy bear and two packs of mama dolls? It's a Merry Christmas, Bambinos. A Merry Christmas. <laughs> and here's Santa Claus, Robert. Now you just step up there and tell him what you want for Christmas. Go on, Robert. Don't be shy. Robert. Please. Please, I talk to him, lady. Hello, little Robert. Hello, Santa Claus. You want to touch your Santa's whiskers? Go ahead and touch. It's a nice and a soft. And it was a dry cling only today. <laughs> Santa Claus, how did you get here? Like everybody else. You see, I take a Dearborn Street car, then I transfer it over to... <laughs> Don't get delusioned, the child. Mama mia. Lady, I'm sorry, I forget. I come here just to buy a bicycle for Jimmy. Well, I've never seen such a Santa Claus. Manager? Where's the manager of this store? Lady, please, I only try to help out. I want the manager. Hey, what's going on here? What is this? Please, it's all for the little bambino. Are you the manager, sir? That's right, I'm Mr. Grovem. Is there something wrong? Well, yes. What kind of a Santa Claus do you have in this store? Well, madam, I don't... How do you expect a child to believe in a Santa Claus that, that talks with an accent? I'm sorry, lady. You come back next year. I'm going to study very hard. And it's going to be a Santa Claus with a perfect English. Say, aren't you the fellow who's in my office? The other Santa Claus, he got excited and he goes away. So I say to myself, little kids that come to stores, they don't see Santa Claus. And what are you going to tell them? Santa Claus, he don't like the place. He say it's a crummy. <coughs> well, I... So I think, I think maybe I'll be Santa Claus till a new one shows up. With a Santa Claus speaking with a, with an accent. Please, it's not important to children how Santa Claus he speaks. They only think... Is a Santa Claus make them happy? Is a Santa Claus nice and a fat? Is a Santa Claus make good promises? If a yes, everything, it's a fine. And the children, they're happy. Well, I... Uh... All right. Okay. I take off a suit. I'm a sorry. Maybe I'm not a good Santa Claus because it's the first time I ever see him. In my country, is no called a Santa Claus. In other country, is a mother star and a father star. And in some places in Europe, is Saint Nicholas in Norway is a Julian Nissen, the naughty elf. What does it make no difference to kids? I, I don't know what to say, Mr. Basco. I... Uh, I'm sorry, sir. Maybe you don't believe in a Santa Claus. I think I do now. 
Mr. Basco, would you do me a favor and keep the uniform on until I can arrange to get a steady one from the agency? Of course, you'll be paid. A place and no pay. Being a Santa Claus isn't a work. Well, It's then, a pleasure. Uh, let me repay your kindness. Please pick out any gift you want in the store. Oh, thank you. It's the one time when a Santa Claus has got a present, no? It's a Merry Christmas, Mr. Bambino. It's a Merry Christmas. Please, Mr. Santa Claus, can you tell me a story? Sure. Was once a little boy named Jimmy O'Connor who got a bicycle for Christmas so every... Mamma Mia, I'm a happy like a little boy because Santa Claus will take care of my Jimmy and give him a bicycle. Also, I'm sending you a package of canned food. Invite a whole family for Christmas dinner. Here's a Luigi Bosco plan instead of a Marshall plan. <laughs> Maybe, Mamma Mia, by next year I make enough money so you come here too. It's so wonderful to be here all year round, but especially wonderful now. If I could afford, I send a Christmas card to all American people and say, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, American people. P.S. You're a loving son of Luigi, the little immigrant. Be sure to listen next week at this same time over most of these stations when Luigi Basco writes another letter to Mama Basco describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production and is written by Highcraft and Cy Howard and stars J. Carol Nash as Luigi Basco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Music is directed by Wilbur Hatch. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.